the White House places blame for the WannaCry malware attacks, and NIST revising guidance on trustworthy email. These stories coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. After careful investigation, the United States is publicly attributing the massive WannaCry cyber attack to North Korea. We do not make this allegation lightly. We do so with evidence, and we do so with partners. That's President Donald Trump's Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor, Tom Bossert, briefing reporters earlier this week. Other governments and private companies agree the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and Japan have seen our analysis, and they join us in denouncing North Korea for WannaCry. Joining me to discuss the latest developments about the ransomware known as WannaCry is Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matt Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hi, Eric. First, remind us, what is WannaCry and the damage it caused? WannaCry appears to be crypto-locking ransomware that literally took the world by storm in mid-May. It targeted a server messaging block flaw in Windows that had been publicized by a group called the Shadow Brokers. The thinking is that this might be a Russian intelligence group, and they have somehow obtained attack code that was developed by the National Security Agency. Regardless of the provenance, though, these attacks are now out in the wild, and whoever built WannaCry included the ability to target machines with the SMB flaw. And what happened when the ransomware was released is it proved extremely effective and spread very quickly, infecting over 200,000 systems in more than 150 countries over the space of just a weekend. And did quite a bit of damage in Britain to the health system there, right? Yes, it resulted in a lot of disruptions. There was some thought that maybe Windows XP had been involved, but actually it looks like it was unpatched Windows 7 that bore the brunt of this attack. Regardless, it showed just how dangerously unpatched and also out of date systems were in Britain, as well as many other countries around the world. How did WannaCry come about? Russia is suspected of having leaked these attack tools, but there is a belief by some in the security community that North Korea took these attack tools, added them to the ransomware, and that this created the WannaCry campaign. Is the announcement by the administration that North Korea was behind WannaCry new information? No. This past summer, the Washington Post reported that the NSA had at least a moderate confidence that the government of North Korea was tied to WannaCry. Other anonymously sourced reports have said that GCHQ in Britain came to a similar conclusion. Some security firms also believe it's highly likely that Lazarus Group, which is a group of APT hackers tied to the North Korean government, tied to the $81 million theft from Bangladesh Bank via fraudulent swift messages, is also associated with these attacks, launched these attacks. Not all security experts believe that, though. Some say, yes, there are clear signs of code reuse, but anybody can reuse attack code. There's still some disagreement over whether North Korea authorized this attack and whether Lazarus Group, which is believed to be operating on North Korea's instructions, is responsible for this, or if maybe it was an affiliate or a hired gun or a mercenary who was doing stuff on their own time. At the briefing, uh, Tom Bosser was asked whether the U.S. was slow in attributing this attack to North Korea. He said no. Take a listen. The most important thing is to do it right and not to do it fast. Uh, We took a lot of time to look through classified, sensitive information. What we did was rely on, and some of it I can't share, unfortunately, uh, technical links to uh, previously identified North Korean cyber tools, tradecraft, 
uh, operational infrastructure. Uh, we had to examine a lot and we had to put it together in a way that allowed us to make a confident attribution. As we move forward and attribution becomes part of our accountability pillar, we can't do it wrong, we can't get it wrong, and we can't try to rush it. I think ultimately at this point, if we had gotten it wrong, it would have been more of a damage to our uh, reputation in national security than it would have been a boon for us to do it quicker. Does Bostard have a point? It's important to remember that the only reason governments ever accuse another government of doing something is for political purposes or for diplomatic purposes. In November, the Trump administration increased sanctions against North Korea because of its ballistic missile tests and its nuclear efforts. I see this attribution by the U.S. at this point in time as being purely a political move. The purpose it serves is diplomatic. It is to bring pressure on North Korea. Whether or not we believe the attribution is open to debate, but what I don't think we could debate is that the administration is trying to find a way to gain more leverage against North Korea. They've got one cry at their disposal, and they're not hesitating to now use that attribution. There's little doubt, though, that uh, North Korea has been conducting mischief in cyberspace. And Bosner feels that the U.S. government working with allies can do something about it. What challenge does the U.S. and its friends have in battling North Korea in cyberspace? The challenge from North Korea is the same as any other groups that work for nation states or which are organized gangs, or in the case of Lazarus, maybe both, or bored teenagers sitting in a basement. There are so many vulnerabilities and flaws out there that you don't need to be a nation state attacker to take advantage of them. It's the same basic information security hygiene problem that we've been seeing for years and years and years. Until we solve that, we're not going to be able to repel attacks by the likes of Lazarus Group or many other actors. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. When we return after this brief message, we'll hear from one of the authors of revised guidance from NIST on trustworthy email. This is basically a way for a sender to look and say, okay, this receiver can do cryptography. I'll immediately do a secure connection and then I will send the mail. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. ISMG's 2018 global events will take place in over 100 cities across four continents. Don't miss the opportunity to meet with over 5,000 senior information security professionals and leading technology vendors from around the world to discuss the most pressing cybersecurity issues we face today. Visit events.ismg.io today. A hot topic these days is trustworthy email. What's trustworthy email? Email that a receiver can have some level of trust in that it originated from the domain, at least, if not the actual individual sender from which it's purporting to come from. That's Scott Rose. He's a computer scientist in the Advanced Networking Division of NIST Information Technology Lab. Rose's co-authoring year-and-a-half-old guidance, the National Institute of Standards and Technology is revising on trustworthy email. In NIST nomenclature, the revised guidance is known as the second draft of Special Publication 800-177, Revision 1. Normally, NIST doesn't revise guidance within a year or two of its initial publication, but since August 2016, new protocols from Internet standards bodies and other factors has led NIST to update its trustworthy email guidance. One such example is Simple Mail Transfer Protocol Strict Transport Security, or SMTP-STS. 
At the time of the original guidance, no publicly available SMTP-STS existed. Only a draft of the protocol had been published. That has since changed. Just like there is what they say, HTTPS, uh, strict transport security, there's now a male version of that called SMTP, strict transport security. It's basically the same sort of thing to signal to a sender that they offer encrypted services and to use that first and not connect uh, in the clear and then negotiate a TLS connection. This is to prevent kind of a security downgrade attack in which an attacker you know, uh, intercepts the communication and strips the, the security offering. A sender then would send the email message in the clear for, and so the attacker can then intercept it and modify it or scan it or whatever. This technique just basically is like HTTP uh, strict transport security. This is basically a way for a sender to look and say, okay, this receiver can do cryptography. I'll immediately do a secure connection and then I will send the mail. That was the, the biggest uh, addition to the text. NIST guidance is developed specifically for federal agencies, but like most NIST special publications, the advice found in the guidance can be relevant for and adopted by businesses and other non-U.S. government entities. In the past, agencies would warn citizens that if they received unsolicited email from the federal government, it likely was a phishing attack and they should delete it. NIST sees the revised trustworthy email guidance as helping organizations automate the process to assure transmitted email originates from a legitimate source. Here again is NIST Scott Rose. And so now, you know, this is the point where email communication from the government to citizens can actually be a little bit more trustworthy and actually can be useful because these technologies reduce the risk of phishing attacks. Among the protocols NIST trustworthy email guidance touts is DMARC which stands for Domain-Based Message Authentication, Reporting, and Conformance. Simply, DMARC fits into an organization's existing inbound email authentication process. DMARC helps email receivers to determine if the reported message aligns with what the receiver knows about the sender. If not, DMARC includes guidance on how to handle the non-aligned messages. Large email providers who actually develop DMARC, they're already deploying it. A lot of the free email services out there are already using it. So this is something that on the receiver side is already there. And that's the hard part. Sender side, uh, which part would be the .gov to the customers and within .gov. Once we deploy it, it should all be in place and, and things are already good. Uh, you know, There's already been a large deployment art of DMARC out there. So this is something that can actually be used right now uh, to make a significant impact on uh, phishing and spoofed email. NIST is seeking comments on the trustworthy email guidance. Stakeholders can send their suggestions by January 31st to sp800-177 at nist.gov. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.